We believe the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a restoration of the original Church established by Jesus Christ, which was built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We declare to the world that the fullness of the gospel has been restored to the earth. We declare with boldness that the keys of the priesthood have been restored to man. We declare to the world that this is the day referred to by biblical prophets as the latter days. It is the final time before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to rule and reign on the earth. Let me take off this dumb background because I think it, it affects things. I right, go for it. This episode is brought to you by Twitter. And also, let's see what else do I have here. Stripe. Oh, wow. And also, Noah Lamina. Had a Google Chrome sticker too, but I don't know what happened to that. Uh, I think the main these sections are are kind of confusing just because, like you were saying, there's there's kind of a lot of here's how you should travel. Oh, don't travel this way, but it's okay to do it now. But some of you can go on land, some of you can go on water, and it's a little bit, I mean, even like reading through some of the historical background, like the Revelations in Context book and a couple of other things, they don't, I mean, they don't really provide a whole lot of information as to what the purpose of all this was. And then in, in the lesson manual for the Sunday school, it doesn't give you a whole lot to work with, except that it kind of comes down to, number one, you should share the gospel. And kind of like last lesson, we talked about being anxiously engaged in a good cause and being, you know, making decisions of your own volition. Uh, the Lord wants us to make some decisions as seemeth us good is one of the headings. And I think that's really what it's getting at. It's like some things the Lord doesn't want to have to dictate in everything. And you kind of have to make it make decisions. You know, what's the best way to go about it? It's up to you. Um, and I think. A lot of times we really want the Lord, especially on important decisions, to kind of tell us what to do or to have someone reveal to us this is the right way to do things. When some things the Lord's just like, I I don't really care how you make your toast in the toaster or the oven. You know, it's it's your business. Other things I think will will be dictated very specifically, but there's a lot of stuff it's like that doesn't really matter. As long as you get it done, that's all that matters. I found it interesting that how it mentions that the journey that these elders were on, um, several of them, right? A bunch of elders that were going, returning missionaries to travel on the Missouri River east to St. Louis. And then they were going to go from there to Cincinnati, Ohio. It mentions that there was contention. A lot of heat, exhaustion, heat in the treacherous Missouri River frayed their nerves. 
On their third day on the water, some of the canoes nearly became entangled in the sawyers. Sawyers are like basically buried trees, like under the water, uh, which threatened to capsize the canoes, endangering the lives of those who could not swim. It's it's interesting though because it, it there's bickering and. Though certainly capable of contention himself, Ezra Booth had little tolerance for it in others. He later observed sarcastically, "There are these are the leaders of the church, and the only church the Lord on earth the Lord holds beholds with approbation." It's kind of interesting how they, these are still people that are not immune to having their little contention, their little squabbles. They're traveling all together. I'm sure they uh, set off with good intentions to, you know, they're not going to plan to have contention, but there's going to be moments when you kind of rub each other the wrong way or someone wants to act like they have more answers or more experience on the, on the water than others. And that makes others feel weird or I don't know what it was, but it's clear that uh, something was affecting them and something was making them not get along well at that part of the journey. And Honestly, I think that whenever we're engaged in something that the Lord wants us to do, whenever you're anxiously engaged in a good cause, you should expect that Satan will attack you. And that can be in very subtle ways. It can be just by making you look at somebody and say, oh, I'm, I'm, I know more than this guy, or I have more experience than that person. I should be the one deciding where we go and when or whatever. And then it becomes, you know, your pride or whatever that gets in the way of the actual act of carrying out that commandment. I, I see it a lot within families, especially like when you know that you're talking about something, some good changes, or you know you're you're involved in something that is the right thing, you're getting ready in the morning to go to the temple or something, and suddenly every everything your wife is doing is just driving you nuts, and you start to get contention. You know, can we just go? Can we please just go? I'm getting ready. I know, but you're taking forever. You know, and it it becomes contentious, and you get this feeling of like, why why is this such a big deal? Well, maybe it's just Satan knowing you're doing something right, and he's just trying to mess you up. Just trying to ruin that that experience. So I thought it was interesting in the in the section sixty in verse well, verse two where he tells them, I'm not pleased because you're hiding your talent because of fear of man. Maybe you should bring up the parable of the talents. <laughs> no, I I won't bring that up this time. <laughs> but it's it's obvious that the Lord is is not pleased with it's not he's not pleased because they are fearful and unwilling to try it doesn't say he wasn't pleased because they didn't baptize many people or convert right. many people and and i think that's always something that sticks to me is what we judge to be success is not the same thing that the lord judges to be successful and i thought it was really interesting in verse five where he kind of says, but barely I speak unto you concerning your journey unto the land from whence you came. Let there be a craft made or brought or bought as seemeth you good. It mattereth not unto me and take your journey speedily for the place which is called St. Louis. So throughout the scriptures, there are different degrees of involvement and coaching that the Lord gives, you know, to, to Nephi and Lehi. It was very specific you should go westward you shouldn't or eastward or westward or something this is the direction don't travel by fire 
I'll let you know when you get there. And come out outside your tent. There's the liahona, which will give you even more specific instructions, right? Not even, not even that, but also, you know, he breaks his bow and asks for help. Here's where to find ore. Here's where to do all this. I need to build a boat. Here's all the instructions of how to build a boat. I mean, it's clear that the Lord knows exactly what each individual needs to be able to carry that out. Yeah. Well, I, I often think about sometimes you we want the Lord to be super involved in telling us. Yeah. And then other times we want him to be totally hands off when we receive instruction that we we think it's it's too direct or what happened to my agency type of thing. And it, it all, I think, depends upon us. I think most of the time we are tempted to want the Lord to be involved when we don't want to take advantage of what he has already said or the patterns he's already set in life. We want to be have almost like have a unique experience like Nephi and Lehi, right? But for me, I look at it as we have such a wealth of information of what the Lord wants us to do that in order for us to develop a relationship with him, there's almost like there's a price we must pay, you know, with our agency. We must read the scriptures. We must do our prayers. We must ponder the good things, go do things of our own free will, we've been told. So I I thought it was interesting that the contrast of sometimes the Lord is very specific and I want you to do this specifically this way. And other times it's just get a craft. You can make it, you can buy it, just go (laughs) already type of thing. And, And then a little bit further down in verse 15, I mean 13, which I think is is really interesting because because he says to them, Behold, they have been sent to preach my gospel among the congregation of the wicked. Wherefore I give unto them a commandment: Thou shalt not idle away thy time, neither shall thy bury thy talent, that it may not be known. And so, again, along the same lines that we heard last lesson: Be anxiously engaged in a good cause, do things of your own free will, don't be slothful. It's it's very different to view the Lord through these scriptures in comparison to how God is viewed through traditional, you know, religious eyes, you know, that God is there and he's so great. He just wants us to adore him and, and, and um, do whatever he tells us to do without question. And that that'll be our reward. In these kind of scriptures, you get a sense that there's more to the interaction of God and man or mankind than just being told what to do. Yeah. That it's a process of being taught. And as you learn, it's expected to you to help teach others or help influence others and invite others to do better. And that's the essence of missionary work. As you learn about the gospel, you learn about true principles, about principles of Charity, morality, chastity, uh, sacrifice, labor, you know, all of these good principles that are found in the gospel. And you find happiness that you invite others. Yeah, I think going on in, in verse 14, it's interesting at the very end. It says, And after thou hast come up unto the land of Zion and hast proclaimed my word, thou shalt speedily return proclaiming my word among the congregations of the wicked, not in haste, neither in wrath, nor with strife. And 
to me, it's kind of like saying, here's how your message should come across. Here's how I want this message portrayed. Don't do it in, as fast as you can. You know, you're going to feel the, the need to teach as many people as possible as quickly as possible. Don't get caught up in the speed of it. Don't get caught up in threatening people. You better follow this or else, you know, that's not what the gospel is about either. And with strife, like, I don't know what exactly that's getting at, but it feels like don't teach it in a way that is burdensome to yourself. Don't teach it in a way that's burden burdensome to others. Like, it's a message of joy and of peace, and that's how it should be portrayed, not hastily, not with wrath or with strife. Well, I don't want to call out certain religions, <laughs> <laughs> but there are beliefs that in worshiping a deity and, and striving for discipleship and being a, you know, a disciple of, of a belief or a, or a religion, that you have to like punish yourself. And, and that penitence is not like we talk about having a broken heart and a contrite spirit. But this other mindset creeps in of penitent. And, and penitent is very, I think it's where you derive the word of penance, of like a punishment. Like you can, that you're inherently bad, that you're inherently wrong. And that's kind of counter, and that and that all goes all the way back to to the was the fall of Adam planned and essential for the progression of humankind, or was it an evil act that we're all being punished, uh, even though we didn't have agency or say in it? And so that it kind of reminds me of the article of faith. You know, we're we're punished for our own transgressions, not for the fall of Adam, right? Or, you know, or, or that, or so on and so forth. Um, in verse, in section 61, I thought it was interesting in in verse 3, where now the elders are traveling down the river, and the Lord says, but verily I say unto you, but it is not needful for this whole company of mine elders to be moving swiftly upon the waters, while the inhabitants on either side are perishing in unbelief. Hmm. And I, I thought that was a good way for the Lord to teach that there's the letter of the law and the spirit of the law you need to buy into the what is the objective and it reminded me a lot of home teaching the rote way that we used to do home teaching in comparison to ministering ministering sure we have assignments and sure there are various tactics and ways that we explain it but we are to care so much that we're not going to pass by individuals who need help or are perishing in unbelief, right? Yeah. As we, we're the vessels to alleviate that. And it happens to all of us. I think about the sacrament. Oftentimes, like when you take your kids, you're wrestling with them. Just be reverent. Just be reverent. You know, and like, at what cost? You know? <laughs> You know, get everybody to church, but now you're super frustrated and upset just to sit there and fume. It's funny, though, because there, while I, I think that was a literal thing, right? It's not not everybody needs to be going swiftly on the water. Uh, Sidney Gilbert, William W. Phelps, y'all need to get to your task pretty quickly. So you need to take care of of your task. You need to go ahead and go quickly to go do it. 
The rest of you, you don't really need to go fast. The rest of you can take your time and teach people along the way. And But it's also kind of a metaphor, along with being a literal thing of here, some of you need to hurry and some of you don't need to hurry. It's also kind of a metaphor for us, right? How many times are we, like you said, giving up beneficial influence or beneficial impact on people's lives because we, we want to get to the next task too quickly? What are we missing out on along the way? Who are we passing by? In, in, in a good task, right? You're, you're in a good cause, but how many people have you gone by that needed your help as well or that could have used a hand up as well? None of these guys were doing anything wrong. Uh, there was contention, but I mean, that was more just like, I think, <laughs> uh, a little bit of concern maybe about the conditions of the water. The Missouri River, it says, is a pretty dangerous river to travel on. Uh, it's pretty choppy and there's uh, a lot of strange currents on it and stuff. And so it was well known that it was a difficult thing to do. And I'm sure that that caused some stress. But what he's saying to them and by extension to us is don't get so caught up in the task at hand that you neglect things along the way that you can do. Yeah, it it's really interesting because <laughs> it reminds me a lot of on the mission or other things where we we sometimes we lose sight of what we should be doing. Uh, for example, it's easy, especially as a missionary, with all the seal and energy and, and you're pumped up coming out of the MTC, you're ready to go. And you, and you you get to your area and you're like, oh, I wish I could be like Nephi, you know, and we, we could go and do these things. I wish I could, you know, and you can imagine also great things. But then it's like, yeah, but can you just knock on these 10 apartment buildings, you know? <laughs> can you get up on time? There's a little bit of that that this section made me think of because, like, the Lord is kind of saying, you know, you want to get to work but there's work right there. You know, when the Lord corrects, he either has given instruction or gives more instruction to explain what he meant. It's not like he's just, oh, you guys are not doing what I want you to do. Goodbye, you know. <laughs> he's also ministering to them and, and these elders. And it's funny because almost... I've noticed that everything that you do for the Lord ultimately becomes a great reward for you. You know, it's like when you serve others, you feel better. You shouldn't do it for selfish reasons so you can feel better, <laughs> but it's like a natural byproduct. Yeah. You know? It's like. Well, think about like sacrament meeting or even just teaching a lesson. If you're teaching Sunday school or if you're teaching primary or whatever and you can carry out a good sacrament meeting you can carry out a good lesson you can say okay you know we we did it within the allotted time um, we had good communication we had good discussion whatever great it, it was it was good task completed right that's my calling that's what i did and it's done but then like did you notice that there was a person that kind of had their head down the whole time and didn't say much who maybe normally does. Did you notice someone who's normally there that wasn't there? You know, it's those types of things where it's like, they're the the populations on the sides of the river, you know? The river, you're carrying out your task, you're saying, okay, we did sacrament meeting, we had 
uh, everyone came and they, they gave their talks and okay, we're good. And time was up and we didn't go over and awesome. But it's like along the way, we need to train ourselves sometimes to look at the periphery. Who's on the fringes? Who's on the edges? Who's not right in front of you demanding your attention? Because a lot of times those are the people that are in the most need and least likely to ask for it. It's it's a balance between, I look at like the administrative aspect of doing a task or, or the logistical part of things. And then the, the passion to doing your art type of thing, you know? It's like planning a vacation, you got to get <laughs> the timing, the car, you know, everything, the gear, everything, the where are we going to be, we need permits, we need passes, we, then we're going to head here and there's places to eat, there's and contingency plans and all that stuff. And then there's the other aspect that, well, you better also have a good time, yeah. you know, don't forget to have a good time, you know, and and that's like sometimes, especially as a missionary or when you're on an errand, you're like, oh, the task is we have to go help. We have to have this many activities with the young people, or we have to fill this many service assignments, or we have to do this or that, you know. And there is need to approach it logistically and try to get everything going. But then at the end of the day, you also got to say, well, did we actually pour our passion into it? Did we? Did it matter? Did yeah. did I? Did we bear witness? Did we bear testimony? And and that's the thing is. You have to balance those things out because you also can't just not do the administrative tasks, not plan, not do those things, you know. I think at the end of 61, it's interesting, uh, in verse 36, he's gone and he's told them all these instructions, what certain individuals should do, what certain should not. And then kind of says, and now verily I say unto you, and what I say unto one, I say unto all. Be of good cheer, little children, for I am in your midst, and I have not forsaken you. And inasmuch as you have humbled yourselves before me, the blessings of the kingdom are yours. I think also there's a lot of times when we can get so caught up in this is my responsibility, this is what I got to do, and I'm not doing a good job because I'm only sailing down the river and I'm not paying attention to the edges. You know, that he's like, look, um, I'm I'm with you. I got your back. I'm I'm not letting you flow down this river by yourself the things i'm telling you the guidance i'm giving you is for your benefit and i hope that you recognize that i'm aware of you and, and that I, I see you i see the efforts you're making and that it's not easy and that maybe you know you do get a little contentious with people from time to time but understand that i'm there i'm with you and i think that's really that's really cool because Unlike a lot of times we hear in the Old Testament where it's kind of like, do this or else I'm going to, you know, burn everybody up. <laughs> it's it's this other side that says, OK, look. Follow my instructions, do this, do that, do the other. And then remember, hey, I'm with you. I got your back the whole way. I like uh, in 35 where, you know, it's one of the first times we hear about them being told to travel two by two. And then towards the end of 35, it says, I am well pleased. Be not separated until they return to their homes, for this is a wise purpose in me. You know, I don't know if this is where it all began. You know, the missionaries go two by two. But there's a lot of benefit in hearing something from two different perspectives. And there's 
there's something interesting in in the relationships that we're commanded to have, especially like in marriage, where you're commanded to be one, but also commanded to be to have different responsibilities and then to complement each other's responsibilities. Not everything is final, right? And as you become more like the other person, they become more like you, but you're still distinct individuals. Right. Same with our relationship with the Savior and the Savior and Heavenly Father and the Holy Ghost and all those things. They're one in purpose and they work together, but they have different roles. And, and I think that's important for us to remember as we look at everyone around us and we look at our callings and what we're asked to do and people in different stages of life, you know, sometimes we want the position or the season that someone is in their life. And for all of us, there's a pattern of, you know, you learn, you go try to plant yourself, you work in the field, you cultivate, and then eventually you enjoy your harvest kind of, you know, the, the pattern of your life, right? And um, there there seems to, you know, for me, I notice, especially with my son, like I can tell him so many things, but then he hears the same thing from like a primary teacher or somebody else, and it makes a big difference. And I wonder, is it, how many different ways can I say what I'm saying? Or is it something within us that we, we benefit from hearing from different perspectives, you know, from different individuals, the same thing. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. And I think that there's clearly there's wisdom in especially sending missionaries out two by two. There were times when I, I connected with an investigator and maybe my companion not as much and vice versa. Right. Times when my companion really whatever his perspective or experience life experience was or whatever his testimony was resonated with someone more than maybe mine. And if I had been on my own, I'm sure the Lord would have helped me reach the people that needed to be heard or needed to hear. But having that other person there kind of made it not only a reiteration of your testimony, like it, I can also testify these things are true, um, but also just having like that, like you said, that other perspective, I think really helps drive it home for people sometimes. I like in section 62, he's talking to the missionaries again, and in verse 3, he says, Nevertheless, ye are blessed, for the testimony which ye have borne is recorded in heaven for the angels to look upon, and they rejoice over you, and your sins are forgiven you. And now continue your journey, assemble yourselves upon the land of Zion, and hold a meeting and rejoice together, and offer a sacrament unto the Most High. And then you may return to bear record, yea, even all together, or two by two, as seemeth you good, it mattereth not unto me. Only be faithful and declare glad tidings unto the inhabitants of the earth among the congregations of, of the wicked. That first uh, verse I read, um, testimony which ye have borne is recorded in heaven for the angels to look upon. I, I've heard it said that every time you bear your testimony, it's recorded. That every time you bear your testimony, that, you know, it's a, a form of repentance. It's a form of saying... I, I believe these things are true, and I hope to live it better than I am now. When you bear a true testimony, like, it means something more than just words, more than just a, I don't know, your stamp of approval. It's also like, 
when you do it, it's I don't know. I don't want to look at it as like, oh, I'm banking credit, you know, celestial credit or something like that. But in a way, it's like, I, why would he say that? It's recorded in heaven for the angels to look upon. What does that mean? Why why would it be recorded that you that you bore your testimony other than that you can say I have shared everything I can share, everything I I believe that I've received a testimony of I've shared, and also uh, if you ever go back against that and say oh I never believed this you know well you did you did say this. It's interesting that they would that he would say that they record it. And I wonder how that works. I like to think about if on this life we are on a journey of progression and we are all at different levels of understanding and different principles, eternal principles, gospel principles, right? When when we bear testimony, we are admitting what we know right now. I know this to be true and I believe in these things and this is the direction I'm facing. And I look at this scripture as like, Heavenly Father and our Heavenly Family, our angels in heaven and all of them, they acknowledge our acknowledgement of what we know. Yeah. And that allows us to continue to progress. It, uh, it brings back, I think, when I, because I look at my child and when I see him acknowledge something, even a mistake, but when I know he really understands it, I feel good. I feel like, you can keep I ha, at this pace you will master this eventually because you know what you know you also know what you don't know and you know what you've done wrong so I'm happy that you are able to be aware of where you're at right now or what happened right and then we look at the opposite of forgiveness which would be you know becoming a son of perdition right you get cast into <laughs> outer darkness and we're told that all along the way, the Heavenly Father can work with anything except this point of, there is a point of no return, right? And for the majority of us, we're tempted to always not acknowledge the Lord, to hide our sins, to gratify our pride, to rebel against the Lord, because we feel that if we make any mistake, it's some sort of guilt. There's a point of no return. And that's not the truth. And I think when we share our testimony, it's almost like we're admitting, here's where I'm at. This is what I feel. This is what I value. And I have hope that there's more better things to come, right? And I've, I don't know, I just, I think it's really important that we bear honest testimony, that we that we say what we actually feel. It's almost like a prayer. But this one, it's more like, I want all of you to know that I know these things are true. I want you to know that, you know, these are things I value. And by doing that, it's kind of, if we go back to verse 60, uh, section 60, verse 2, where it says, but with some I am not well pleased, for they will not open their mouths. They will hide the talent or in this case, talent could be the knowledge, the testimony, which they have, that which I have given unto them because of their fear of man. Well, and fear is a huge deterrent for a lot of people, either to be judged by others 
maybe my testimony isn't as strong as some others. And so if I share it, they'll be like, do you really know that? You know, <laughs> they'll, they'll question me uh, or that they'll just ridicule me or make fun of me for my beliefs or for my experiences or whatever it may be. Or we're just really kind of shy to be that real with people. Uh, I think that happens too, where it's like, I, if I if I get really serious, people are going to get like, whoa, whoa, this guy is intense, you know? But sometimes it's it's necessary. Having the courage to say something like that to somebody who's coming to you for advice or that's just talking about, hey, I need help with something. Just bearing a testimony in a simple, honest way, I think, can be very intimidating, even among friends, maybe even sometimes more among friends than among strangers, right? Because you don't want to make people feel uncomfortable or, or whatever. But the Lord's basically saying, look, when you do it, we record it and the angels look upon it. And when you don't, you're hiding that talent and you're doing it because of fear. And then, of course, the next line, woe unto such, for my anger is kindled against them. It's anger, but I think, I'm sure it's mostly just like, what are you doing? Why are you wasting your time? Share it. I don't see it as like a vengeful anger. I see it more as like very strong disappointment, very strong like, you know better than this. You are better than this. Why not share it? What are you hiding? Why are you so afraid? And then he tells tells them and tells us, you know, I have not forsaken you. I'm among you. And that that I think is to say, don't be afraid. If you're gonna if you're gonna share that testimony, if you're gonna serve as a missionary, if you're gonna serve as a member of the church in any way, um, even without a calling, you can certainly be a missionary. Do it without fear of man, because I'm I'm right there with you, and everything you say, I'm gonna back you up. I like. Um... Scripture in the New Testament in First John 4:18, where it talks about there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Um, and then it keeps going, and it's all really good. But in essence, you know, if fear and love, perfect love casts out fear then maybe a way for us to overcome some of our fears is by learning to love good things you know i i always had huge issue with public speaking speaking in front of people sacrament everywhere you know you wouldn't think it now because i can't shut up now you know, <laughs> i always talk and always have to comment and always say things but it used to really bug me until I think to myself, you know, if if I'm bearing a testimony, who am I doing this for? Am I scared to be ridiculed? And I'm scared to be called uneducated or dumb or wrong as I bear a testimony of a of the Son of God, whom <laughs> was ridiculed wronged falsely accused and i'm pledging to follow him you know the irony there is is interesting because the lord always says you know you know blessed are they that are persecuted for my name's sake 
And I'm not saying we need to go out there and become martyrs and hurl ourselves into unwise situations because here I go to show that I'm not scared. No, it's not that kind of thing. It's more what what's our motivation and the love we have for the Savior can help us overcome a lot of, if not all of our fears. And if we don't feel that that's the case, then we need to get to know the Savior more. We need to have a better relationship with him. And like in the scripture says, prove me herewith, for I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. The Lord is not scared of us putting him to the test. And the way we do that is by feasting on the scriptures, obeying the commandments. Even if you just say, you know, this month I'm going to do this and this and this. Let's see what changes. Let us be awake and not be wary of well-doing, for we are laying the foundation of a great work, even preparing for the return of the Savior. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me.